Welcome to the Radio Book Club, a collaboration between KGNU Community Radio and the Boulder Bookstore. And we are live here at the Boulder Bookstore with one of our favourite authors, Peter Heller, who is returning for a fourth visit to the book club. I think one more visit, Peter, you get a free coffee. So tonight you have a glass of water. We are absolutely delighted to have you back with yet another incredible book. This is, I always say this, it's such a cliche, it's a page turner and it really is. This is a thriller. It's set in color. Colorado. It ticks every single box that people are looking for. And uh, we're delighted to have you here to talk about The Guide. Um, Arson, for the listeners who may not be familiar with Peter's work, Peter is a stellar, stellar Colorado author. And uh, The Guide, why did you select that for the Radio Book Club? Well, you know, we've already done it three times with Peter. So I thought, you know, why not go for four? But, <laughs> you know, Peter's everything where I think we're looking for in the book club, right? He's, he's a great writer but also is writing often set in Colorado, as this book is. And um, every book is a bit different with him, so I just thought it would be a great selection. Um, this book takes place pretty close to Crested Butte, which um, is a little ways from here, but a place that many people in the Boulder area are familiar with. So really thrilled to have you back, Peter. It is great to be here. I just adore coming to the Boulder Bookstore. Thanks for having me. Well, the guide is... It's a standalone book in and of itself, but it is connected somewhat to your last book, The River. One of the characters from The River is now back as the aforementioned guide. So take us through who the titular character is in The Guide. So uh, Jack is a young ranch kid from near Kremlin, Colorado. He's tough. He's spent half his life in the saddle. making breakfast over an open fire and sleeping out under the stars are second nature, you know, like breathing. And uh, he's passionate about uh, reading. He's a, he's, a, he's a passionate reader. He's an avid fisher person. And uh, he's an interesting cat because he's, um, he suffered some real losses in his life. Uh, you learn pretty fast in the river that uh, he lost his mother when he was 11. And he, he blames himself for the accident. It was a horse accident. And um, recently he lost somebody else. I don't want to spoil anything for anybody who is reading one of the other books. But um, he's had a hard go. And in this book, he's trying to get his life back together. He's now three years out of college. He's 25. He feels like he needs to get out of the ranch. It's just he and his, him and his father there. And so he takes a job as a fly fishing guide at a very elite luxury lodge outside of Crested Butte on the Taylor River. And um, that's where it begins. He thinks, you know, he can connect with something that's given him a lot of joy and get back on the river and, and try and heal himself. So bringing back Jack, that you, you have a, this is your fifth novel, but you haven't done this type of thing where you bring back a character. What were the advantages of that like, as a writer? Does that, that give you an advantage? Like, okay, I've already have an established a character. And did it, ever, did it ever have any disadvantages to working with a character that had already been established and there was only certain things maybe you could do? Right. Well, I, did, I didn't mean to. I mean, <laughs> you guys, if you follow my work at all, you know that I, that I start with the first line. I came up as a poet, and I'm really interested in the sound of language. I mean, that's what I love. And so I always start with the first line, whose cadence I like and well, whose sound I love. And... Um, I follow the language into the story. Maybe that's a little bit different than the way some people work. And so um, I never know who's going to show up uh, until I start writing. And in this book, somebody's dropping their pack on a porch, 
of a little cabin by above a, of a small mountain stream. And I was all, like, all right, you know, I'm, I'm a sucker for porches. I really love a good porch. <laughs> and uh, especially if it's looking over water, a body of water or the mountains. And it was Jack. And I was so glad to see him because I was worried about him. I, I left him uh, at the end of the river, brokenhearted and alone, and just with his returning to the ranch with his very taciturn old man. And I thought, and then apparently he was working as a fishing guide. And I thought, good for you. Uh, you know, this will be, be all right. I think it's a good, good move. <laughs> Little did I know. <laughs> Poor guy, what was going to happen? <laughs> well, there are definitely sinister forces at play. All is not as it seems in this uh, millionaire's playground in, in Colorado near Crested Butte, this beautiful pristine water that people come from all over the world to fish and, and Jack is there as a guide. But the backdrop to all of this is COVID. And this is not COVID as we know it now, but this is COVID maybe in several years. There have been three or four different variants. So was COVID something that just had to appear because it's not something we can actually avoid now? Or, you know, were you starting this prior to COVID? What yeah, so I, so I started the book in the middle of COVID. And uh, I didn't know I was going to write about COVID. And I actually didn't know COVID was going to be an issue in this book until, uh, you know, a good, a good way through. And I went back. You'll, when I read the first couple of pages, you'll hear the Jack tries to put a mask on in front of the manager. Uh, I put that in because, you know, I needed to uh, after, I'd, after I realized that we were in this world. And it was really weird. When I was writing the book, there was COVID, period. I mean, COVID was one thing. And uh, I set it in a world where variants were sweeping the country in waves, and the rich, the haves, the people who could afford it, were isolating themselves in remote, beautiful spots, uh, doing stuff they love to do, and sort of staying out of the cities and the and the dangerous places. And so, um, it was a little weird because you know the dog stars. I wrote the dog stars, and it was about a pandemic, right, that killed everybody. <laughs> I wrote the river, and it was about these huge fires in Canada that, you know, these devastating fires. That was, you know, a couple of years before that happened. And, and now I wrote this about variants, and I'm, I'm starting to think, you know, like, be, be really careful what you write about. I mean, like, dude, you know, maybe we should write about something really happy. You know? about like, world peace, and everyone lived happily ever after. Yeah, <laughs> what, like they say on Miss America, you know, like, world peace. <laughs> So you, um, you mentioned to me earlier that the book has an interesting origin story, and I was wondering if you could share that with us and also maybe read the beginning of the book, because you've mentioned it a couple times, so why don't we just get you to read the Oh, okay. Pages. So I'll read, um, I'll read three pages. You know, my, my books have lots of space in them between the par paragraphs and dialogue, and it, I do that because it's sort of like when you did a term paper and you sort of made the margins really wide. <laughs> um, so I'll read three pages, but it's really like two. Uh, I'll start with a prologue and save you guys some time. Uh, the guide, prologue. They gave him a bunk in a cabin by the river, a wooded canyon, spruce and pine with rim rock up high and rock spurs that tumbled to the water. Jack dropped his pack on the porch, 
It was a cool afternoon with high running clouds that tugged their shadows over the canyon. He looked around. The cabin was on the edge of a steep bank in the shadow of the pines, and a staggered rush rose from the creek below and was carried by the sift of wind in the trees. A creek, really. They called it a river, but up this high it was his favorite kind of stream, an easy toss of a stone across and shallow enough in places to wade bank to bank. He studied the rhythm of it. It slid around a left bend and broke white through a jumble of boulders and coursed into a long black pool studded with smooth rocks. At the top of the pool, he could see a pedestrian bridge and a fisherman's trail heading upstream on the other side, trout water out of a dream. The shack was basic. On the narrow covered porch were a stack of split firewood and two cane rockers. He didn't really care what was inside. He thought he could sit on this deck and watch the stream for the rest of his life. The lodge was book solid from August 20th, what the manager told him. They would close on October 30th, or when the snow got too heavy, whichever came first. Jack could, would guide one fisher per day or a couple no more, boutique fishing at its finest, $200 a day plus tips, one day off every 10, and if he wanted to, unless he wanted to skip it, good money. Less than he could make running a drift boat on the Colorado, but it included food, lodging, and two drinks or two beers a night. After that, Ginny cuts you off. We encourage the guides to hang out at the bar before dinner and converse with guests, but there's nothing sadder than a sodden fishing guide. Am I right? <laughs> that was the manager, Kirk Jensen, stepping onto the porch and handing him a card with a key code to open the heavy arc gate at the head of the drive, two giant rusted cams that rocked apart with a grinding of heavy chains and cogs that slid thick steel doors etched with leaping trout. You'll need it to get out and in. Why do you need a code to open it from the inside, Jack said. I'll stop. <laughs> I'll stop there. <laughs> That's where we need the ominous music to come in. That perfectly sets the tone. That's author Peter Heller reading from his latest book, The Guide. We're here live at the Boulder Bookstore. It's a taping of the Radio Book Club, a collaboration between KGNU and the Boulder Bookstore. So this is a playground for millionaires. When I was reading this, the first thing that jumped into my mind was one of the Koch brothers bought a huge ranch near Paonia in Colorado. And there was a crazy story about eight years ago of one of his employees who said that he was kidnapped or held against his will. I mean, I think he was filed a lawsuit and it was thrown out. But I was like, was that an inspiration? Because Carson said there's an interesting backstory. Well, I skied above that thing on the federal land and looked down at it. And they had a hotel and a jail. And it was an old western. He moved that whole western town. What was it called? Uh, something Buckskin Joe's. Yeah. It's a trippy place. I mean, it really, it really is. Uh, I don't know. I mean, the super rich, I mean, they do some, some interesting stuff. Uh, they're like crows because crows, I, I heard, only take three hours a day to, you know, sustain themselves. The rest of the time is free time. And uh, so they get into a lot of mischief. <laughs> so so uh, Jack is this, this guide, and he's assigned uh, a guest that's you know that's all he has to do is guide one guest and it's a woman named Allison who's a singer quite famous not that it matters much to Jack but do you have somebody in mind for Allison or how, how did that come about that you wanted him to have somebody that was 
that was kind of a, a cultural celebrity that he would be guiding? Well, you know, as I'm writing along, uh, the, you know, in the next page, if I'd have read it, the manager would have said, you know, hey, um, we have a mile and a half stretch of river here. It's private. The locals call it Billionaire's Mile, and your first client tomorrow for the next five days is Allison Kay. And Jack was intrigued by that, and he said, well, what do you mean Kay? What's the deal with you? Kurt said, the rich and famous use a lot of initials. You'll get used to it. And, um, you know, Jack isn't quite sure who she is because he spends time on the ranch, you know, not watching um, YouTube. And uh, so, uh, but he hears her humming and singing to herself when she's fishing. And then he recognizes it's so beautiful. It's layers of, 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 of sweet and pain and truth. And, and he realizes who she is, you know, uh, within pretty, pretty soon, yeah. That image of her humming, and she's on the river and Jack observes her, and he almost observes that she can't help him. He's not even sure if she's aware, but she's so full of music that right. it comes out. Yeah, yeah. And I just thought that was such a beautiful image. And for you as a poet, because as you said, you got your start as a poet. And Jack too, I know he studied poetry in college and he loves words and books. Do you find that, because you, you described Jack came back to you as a character. Do words and stories just come out of your pores? In a way <laughs> I mean that in a nice way, that's not a great image. But in a way that just, you can't help us. I don't know. I have some good friends here. We could ask them. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, Jack is interesting because um, sort of to, to sidestep your question just a little bit. Um, I've had a lot of characters that are a little like me because all your characters are. And um, people had asked, you know, after the dog stars, are, you know, is Hig you? And I would always say, you know, Hig is 6'2", and he can cook, so, you know, he's clearly not me. Um, but Jack, you know, he is, I mean, he's a lot like me in that, I mean, not that I'm a tenth as tough as he is or can fish like he can or anything, but his uh, wariness of people and his, um, the way he engages with beauty and with, with words and with books, um, his, the certain reserve that he keeps to himself, um, you know, his love of wild country, they're all, you know, they're all things that I share with him. And so it was, you know, it was wonderful to, to, to see him again. And um, as far as the, the music, I know, you know, in this book, Jack is reading a, I mean, in this novel, he's reading a book of poetry by Lee Shui. And Lee Shui is a, is a poet that appears in The Orchard, the, book, the last book that I wrote, uh, that's an e-book. And um, Lee Shui is a Tang Dynasty poet that I made up. And um, so, you know, Jack is reading her book, and I put some of the poems in there for fun. But so to answer your question, I guess I can't help myself. <laughs> you know, you had a few different passages, and one is kind of close to where I think Maeve's talking about, where you talk about whether it's somebody fishing or whether it's a musician, where you you have to think about I'm casting the the the, the you know for the fish. I'm doing this like step by step. But at some point, a true master, it just takes over. It just becomes, they become one with the activity in a way that they're not thinking. And do you find that with writing at all? Or is it always sentence by sentence? Or does it at some point start flowing? Like no, I would, I, yeah, it's a good, I mean, I wouldn't do it if it was, you know, sentence by sentence. I mean, 
what I love, I mean, writing is my favorite thing. It really is. I mean, I just love, I love to surf. And, and one thing I love about surfing is that, you know, you, you forget your name. You forget that you're a human being. I mean, you're just, you know, out there at daybreak and there's turtles popping their heads up and you're just this animal, you know, and I, and I, and I, and I love that. It's such a relief. Uh, and when I'm writing, you know, it's the, it's the same feeling of, you know, of flow and, I get, you know, it's the only way I could write the, with this method, which is to start with the first line and just, because, because I'm writing along and I'm a, I turn a corner in the narrative and I'm as surprised as you guys are. And, you know, I'll burst into tears in the coffee shop. And I've said it before, you probably, but I'll have tears dripping down my chin onto the table. And I know other customers are looking around at me like that poor son of a bitch. He probably lost his dog last night or <laughs> something. But really what's happening is, is, you know, I'm more thrilled than I've ever been in my life because I'm completely transported. I mean, it's almost like being reincarnated or something, you know, into this other world and life. And I just love that. It's just so thrilling. It's, it's like going to a triple feature every day. Well, you must love fishing because you write such incredible descriptive passages about the, the, what happens to your soul almost when you're at one, you're on the river and you have these incredible descriptions of how you cast. And I, I'll use all the wrong terminology, but I know nothing about fishing. I've never necessarily been interested in it, but I was captivated by the poetic way that you described it. So what is that feeling like when you are on a river and you're fishing like that? Well, I love to wade, you know, so I love to be literally immersed, you know, knee deep or thigh deep in a, in a creek and feel the current. And then pretty soon, you know, I, you know, the circle of awareness and I, I've described it before in the writing, but, um, you know, you all know who do stuff outside, but that circle of awareness that you need for something technical. Um, right in here, you know, the, the, the light, the current, the wind, the smells, um, somehow that expands as I focus as I'm fishing, and I, I'm not a good fisherman at all. I mean, I'm always the guy that, you know, catches the least fish, probably. Um, but I just love it so much because that circle of awareness somehow expands so that I'm, I'm now aware of the smells of the spruce and the fir and the sound of the wind moving and which way it's coming and, um, you know, what's changing on the mountain if the aspen are changing in the light. And I'm, I'm aware of the different temperatures that I'm walking through and the temperatures, the the coolness on the wind or the breath of warmth. And um, somehow in that awareness, I completely lose myself. And that's, you know, it's interesting. I, I've thought about this, um, which is why do we struggle so hard against dying? Why is dying so hard when half the stuff we do, we're just trying to lose ourselves? Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's interesting. You write as well about nature in such a beautiful way. And last time we spoke about the river, which is, connected to this book because it has the same character, Jack, and that was set against a backdrop of these incredible wildfires in Canada. Of course, we are once again living through wildfires and we will constantly be, that is the new state of being. And I remember you spoke so incredible about the role of writers and poets almost bearing witness to what's happening. Mm -hmm. And so I thought maybe you could talk a little bit more about that given that we're in an even more dire situation than when we spoke two years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think, I mean, I think just naturally, I mean, I think I would, would say that it's the job or the role of an artist to somehow get their arm, try and grapple with issues and, and feelings that are, are so hard for all of us, you know. Um, but I don't think that's the way it works. It's not the role. It's not the job. It's just what, it's just what you do when you're when you're tuned that way, I think when you're working in, in the arts, um, 
somehow everything that you're feeling uh, will inform your work and the things that are really heavy on your heart and the things that really concern you and the things that um, bring you joy, you know, all will inform the work. And, you know, for me, I mean, I, I, I feel, you know, I have been for the last couple of decades, you know, this, this increasing unraveling of our earth and, and the, the, I feel the losses of habitat, the losses of species. Like, it, I take it personally, and I feel like what we're going through now is um, it's, it's more than a crime. I mean, I think what we as a species are doing is a sin. I, I think it's, it's really wrong. And um, I don't know if we can help ourselves. So it's going to inform the work. And um, I, like, as I said, in my process, I don't mean it to. It's just, you know, it has to. And um, I don't know what this deal is about writing about stuff that ends up happening, you know, two years later. <laughs> Somebody asked me that yesterday at the Tattered Cover, and I, and, I, and I said, well, maybe it's about tuning. You know, it's sort of like maybe it's just that you, a few of us might hear the train coming around, the, the train whistle around the bend a little bit, just a little bit sooner before it appears around the corner. And um, I hope that's it. <laughs> It'd be weird if it wasn't. <laughs> In the book, when Jack is starting to know that something's wrong, some, some evil is happening at this place, but he can't quite put his finger on it, he says that um, they're subverting the natural order of things. I thought that was a very interesting way of putting it. Like, you know, it made me think what is natural, what is, because in this book, the evil isn't a forest fire. It isn't some obvious climate change. The evil it, it comes about probably because of income disparity is a big piece of what's going on. But to Jack, he knows something's wrong because something isn't natural. Tell me about your sense of that and the world in harmony for him, perhaps, or what does that mean for you? Yeah, it's a wonderful question. I mean, um, I once asked, I studied, I had, the one, I, had the, I had the great honor of studying with Marilyn Robinson at the, at the Iowa Writers' Workshop. Um, you, know, you know, housekeeping in Gilead and, you know, all that. Just the most beautiful writer. And I, I once asked her, I, we became friends, and I, I was so honored. And once we were having iced tea in her backyard, and I said, um, because she also, she writes a lot about, um, religious issues and she writes a lot about Christianity and uh, and I asked her what she thought evil was and you know she didn't hesitate uh, it wasn't as if she had said it before but she said uh, impediment to being and I, I've thought about that for years it's not that the wolf bringing down the elk that's not an evil thing because it, it's not really in it it's an impediment to that single elk's life, but it's not impediment to being because part of this elk's being is in the natural order is being prey. I mean, that's part of, of the food chain. So it wasn't that, it was something deeper. And, I, and, I, and I've, I've, I've wrestled with what that, that means for a long time. And I think that's part of what I'm asking myself in this book. So um, when you had, so it's a real thriller, you know, like I feel like the river, uh, it's man against nature and, you know, dog stars with the pandemic and the painter, there's kind of individual people doing evil. But in a thriller, you kind of need something bigger, some sort of, I don't want to say conspiracy, but some. So how did that come about that I don't want to give away because you, you're going to discover it as you read it. But 
did you have to map that out? Did it just come naturally? Was this, you know, how did you come up with the, the villains or what the evil is in this book? Right, well, I mean, this was really fun. So, um, so I, had, I, I was at a book festival outside of Palm Springs, this kind of fancy place, and um, I don't like book festivals that much, and mostly it's because I'm not the center of attention. I, I, have, to, I, have, I have to be on panels. You know, and you know, I, I get to answer for like five minutes and you know, nobody pays much attention. And you don't, I, I, I mean, I take the whole thing, I mean, it's sort of fun. But uh, to, the way I get through them is I always get up really early and I have a cup of coffee and I work for a couple hours. I mean, it just makes my day much better when I'm at one of these multi-day deals. And I went down very early uh, to where we were to have breakfast and I poured a cup of coffee and the only other person there was Lee Child. And uh, I think he was doing the same thing. And I think he had this sort of same feeling. And uh, we started talking about process. And I said, you know, I, I like to just start with the first line whose sound I like. And, you know, I came up as a poet. That's what I, and, and just let it rip. And he said, you know, I do too. And I was like, come on. You know, I mean, have you read the Jack Reacher novels or seen it on TV? I mean, it's like so tightly plotted and subplots everywhere. And, and, uh, he said, yeah, man, I just, I just start, and in the first half, I throw everything against the wall, everything I can think of. Bodies, lurking, menacing, you know, figures, car accidents, you know, I just throw it all against the wall. And in the second half, I mirror all of that, I tie up all the loose threads, and whatever doesn't tie up is a red herring, and I'm good. <laughs> and, you know, I said, I said, Jesus, you know, I mean, I've read whole books on writing novels, you know, Stephen King's book, John Gardner's book, you know, on and on. And you just gave me a, a perfect method in two sentences. <laughs> you know, good on you. Uh, so as I was writing this, I started with, Jack, you know, I wrote my first Jack's on the porch and, you know, what kind of place is it? And then it occurred to me, I remembered that conversation. I thought, because every one of my books has a different method and that's how I keep it fun. I mean, it's just more fun that way. And you know, the Dog Stars was written kind of in a white heat and the painter was sort of blocked out a little more like, you know, well, when should he go to Santa Fe and you know, what should happen maybe? Loose. But this, I thought, let's just try that. So I had Jack fishing the first afternoon, figuring out just kind of uh, doing his first run to check out the river. And I put a fisheye camera under the bridge. And it's not a spoiler because you'll get to it in the first couple of pages. And, uh, you know, there's a post at the top of the mile and a half section that's with a sign on it that says, don't go, you know, don't get shot, don't go past this post. And down on the downstream end of the mile and a half stretch is a barbed wire fence and there's like mastiffs and, and ha you know, mean dogs. And all this, I just piled it on. And I won't tell you anymore, but I piled it on. I just, <laughs> I, and I just thought, I didn't know what any of it meant or what it, where it was gonna lead, but it fascinated me, this idea that you could pile on a bunch of what must seem to the author at the time, random events and details, and somehow generate a propulsive narrative that all worked out. I just thought that was very interesting. So I tried it, and it, and it did work. And it makes me think about all the, all the work we do in our unconscious or when we're sleeping. You remember how you would like study for a test and then you'd sleep on it, you know, and you'd do better? I mean, we do a lot of work that we don't know that we're doing and I, I just thought that was so cool. So. Well, it does tie up and it all makes sense and it really is gripping. And you give Jack somewhat of a peaceful, happy ending. Is that okay to say? No. Well, <laughs> 
no, not in the way that you think. But not in that way. He finds a level of peace, it seems. It seems. That's to, what to, I read. Uh, to you. Yeah, to me, yeah, 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 it yeah. seems like, oh, I felt okay about church at the end of the book. No, uh, all respect, Maeve. Um, it is nice. I mean, it's nice to have to slaughter everybody. Just put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't want to give any more spoilers. Please do read it. It's a fantastic read. Uh, as we always do at the end of each radio book club, we announce the next book that we're inviting our listeners to read along. So who have we got joining us for the month of September? We have an amazing author here in Boulder, Stephen Graham Jones. It'll be his third time on the show. And his new book is called My Heart is a Chainsaw. And it's a lot about, he takes a lot from slasher movies and there's, there's lots of blood and just about everybody does get slaughtered in his book. So, uh, but he's a great writer. He has Native American themes he examines. And it, so it's much more, he's doing much more complex things than any sort of summary could, could say. It's a really interesting book. And that will be taped next Thursday. Uh, yeah, next Thursday, September 2nd at 6.30, right here in the ballroom of the Boulder Bookstore. And if you can't make it to the live event, do catch it on the fourth Thursday in September. We're going to say goodbye to our radio audience right now, but encourage you to subscribe to the podcast of the Radio Book Club. We're going to have more conversation with Peter Heller. Who knows where it's going to go? We're going to have uh, audience questions as well. But as always, it's a joy to have Peter Heller join us at the Radio Book Club, which is a collaboration between KG and you and the Boulder Bookstore. I'm Maeve Conran with KGNU. As always, my co-host, Arsene Kashkashian. Thank you. Thank you, Maeve. And uh, subscribe to the podcast. Lots more coming. Thank you.